The Philosophy of Modern Song is the long-awaited new book for Bob Dylan, his first since his memoir Chronicles was published in 2004, and also his first since winning the Nobel Prize for Literature in 2016. Though that memoir was teasingly subtitled Volume 1, we may have to wait a little bit longer for a follow-up as this new work finds Dylan, the master songwriter who incidentally plays Dublin's Three Arena this coming Monday, examining the songs of others ahead of his rough and rowdy ways tour, his world tour. Across 66 short essays, Dylan tackles everyone from Stephen Foster and Hank Williams to Cher and Elvis Costello, offering both his interpretations of the songs in question and also some deeper background. Joining me in studio is one of our own great contemporary songwriters, Glenn Hansard, who has been digesting the book for the last week. Uh, we'll have a quick sample of some of the songs before we ask Glenn about what he's been reading a sample of some of the songs that Dylan covers or mentions within the 66 that he's chosen. In the night, exchanging glances, wandering in the night. What were the chances we'd be sharing love before the night was through? We won't try to put us to death. Just because we get around. Forget old. There we go, Little Richard, The Clash, Hank Williams, Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra and The Who amongst the artists featured in The Philosophy of Song. New book from Bob Dylan. He has written 66 essays, each focusing on a different song of his choice. Glenn Hansard has been looking at the book and is with me in the studio this evening. When you heard um, a book called The Philosophy of Modern Song by Bob Dylan, um, what were you expecting, Glenn? Well, I saw an ad for this book about maybe six months ago and I just went, you know, I fell completely for the, the classic, oh my God, Bob's going to open up about, he's going to get into the, you know, because, you know, he's at a certain age now. He's just going to let us know what's going on. He's going to let us in behind the curtain. going to tell us everything. Yeah, we get to we get to meet the master, you know, we get to meet Mr. Oz, you know, <laughs> the wizard. Um, and when, so this book came in the post. I had actually ordered it six months ago. I pre-ordered it and, you know, really excited about, because we all want to know. We all want to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, how the great minds think. And of course, it's not that. You know, there's wisdom in this book. There's no doubt there's great wisdom in it. There's great insight. But it's it's got nothing to do with deconstructing the song or because the introduction to this book would would lead you to believe you're about to you're about to enter, you know, hallowed ground, you know. Uh, it's just not. Um, but it, I was so busy being disappointed when I got the when I the book was actually finally in my hands. I was so busy being disappointed by the fact that it wasn't him letting us in on every secret that I missed what it was. Ah, right. Which is this amazing 
easygoing, easy breezy, kind of kicking the can around, you know, philosophizing, having a having a bit of a laugh, and 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 in while doing that, saying some incredibly insightful and poignant things. Yeah, because it, it, it feels like a chat with him the way he goes about the songs. Maybe if we we, we pick a specific one that you, you've chosen a few that that, yeah. that really spoke to you uh, and um, you, you're talking about your cheating heart you have open there yeah. in front of you. Yeah. So uh, whose particular version did he choose of your cheating heart? Because he could have chosen several of them. Well, he chose Hank, well, Hank Williams' version um, and and that's actually an important point to make because if you look at the beginning of the book it's just a list of songs. It doesn't go into who wrote them. Nothing. It doesn't go into yeah. which version. So it's got. It's not about the artist, actually, this book. It's about the song. And Bob loves songs. And, you know, to quote him, he says, great songs are where you find them. And and that's a, that's a classic Bob line. It's like, whatever moves you. Like, I, I remember, I actually remember listening to Arena a few years ago and I had one of those moments where my, where I stopped in my tracks Lisa O'Neill was singing England has, England has My Man. And I was at home and I just stopped everything I was doing and I listened. And when music touches you like that, you know that you're hearing the real thing. So great songs are where you find them. Laura Quirk um, has this incredible song called A Half Light. And whenever I hear her sing it, I just, I stop. And I mean, so great songs are where you find them. And so she, you know, these are, mm. these are our contemporary writers and you could, you know, and the thing is, I think you could pick, I think you could pick any amount of songs. It doesn't matter. It's not political. It's not about who wrote it. He's not doing Elvis a favour by, by quoting him. He's not doing Hank Williams. He's not, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily feel, and it's a stretch to say this, I wouldn't necessarily feel complimented if one of my songs was in this book because he's not, it's not about you. Yeah. What he's doing is really about him. Yeah, and it's funny because each essay starts with a big chunk of block, yeah. block capitals. And in the case of your cheating heart, Hank Williams with his Drifting Cowboys, the block capitals section is, this is the song of the con artist. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it just opens up, it starts to open up that song in a totally different yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what he really enjoys doing. And, you know, if you're doing it in the Bob Dylan, you know, be like, this is the song of the con artist. This is the song where you're the swindler who sold me a bill of faulty goods. You beguiled me, double crossed me. You know, it's like you can. It's it's really it's it's in his it's in his rhythms. Mm. And now you're out. Of, now you now you're out of moves, and soon you'll be groaning with the prolonged suffering. You know, how do I know? I just know. Maybe I have a crystal ball. Maybe I read tarot cards. Yeah, maybe I just foresee things. Maybe I have a sixth sense. A whole lot of maybes. I don't know how I know, but I just know. Like. It's a brilliant way into it. And you give us a sense of it there. I mean, it, it kind of in some ways harks back to his, his radio show, Theme Time Radio yes. Hour, where he had picked, picked specific themes and yes. he'd kind of, he'd, he'd rip, riff on that and choose a, a bundle of songs across it. There's a touch of stream of consciousness about it. It's almost as if he just throws it down on the page, but nothing is thrown down by no, accident. No, actually, you know, it's funny. When I got this book, I didn't like it. Like the other day, I was like, no, I don't like it. And even when I was speaking yesterday with Olin, I was like, no, I don't like it. And then... What clicked, what changed? It's just the language, the way... Once you realise it's not <laughs> what it promises it's going to be. And and that's very Bob, you know. Yeah. It, you're not going to get what you expect. Let's have a, a listen to a little bit of yeah. Hank Williams and your cheating heart because there's something he says about it that I think is worth uh, picking up on. Great. you walk the floor the way I do, the cheating heart will tell on 
Just a little snippet there of Hank Williams and your, your cheating heart, which is one of the 66 songs that Bob Dylan has chosen to talk about in his new book, The Philosophy of Modern Song. Bob Dylan and uh, Glenn Hansford has been reading the book for us. He's with us in the studio. Yeah, he, he talks in this, Glenn, and again, he kind of, it just, it's one paragraph follows on from the other. Yeah. He talks about um, not, not spoon feeding people. So good songs don't spoon feed you. Yes, exactly. They, you, they, you have to go find it. He talks about how Hank is singing against the band's rhythm and how Hank's sorrow is leading the rhythm that the band never got on top of him. He gets really into the phrases of the steel guitar and the fiddle. And then he kind of then he kind of goes into a little bit of a, you know, you know, if, if, if he says if Joe Satriani was playing along with Hank Williams and that it would just kill the song entirely. That basically it's about it's about the people who played it and about the time and and he, then he goes into this and the problem you know I'll just read a little bit. That's yeah. the problem with a lot of these things these days. Everything's too full now. We're spoon fed everything. All songs are about one thing and one thing specifically. There's no shading, no nuance, no mystery. Perhaps this is why music is not a place where people put their dreams at the at the moment. Um, that the dream is at the moment uh, dreams suffocate in airless environments that line is really really interesting perhaps that's why music is not a place where people put their dreams at the moment dreams suffocate in airless environments you know, so in the midst of it all he, there are those little gems there is philosophy oh my God, in there. there there really is and you got and you have to really get in this that's why I said like I didn't like the book and I like, was digging digging deeper and deeper into it and I was like man this thing is just full of absolute gems but like, you know I remember as a kid like you know, listening to like, you know, Pink Floyd or, you know, listen, listening to Bob. Mm. And my whole life was invested in these songs. It was, I would listen to them continuously. And, you know, he, and, and we now live in an age where, you know, if you look at Netflix, it's like what, what determines what people watch is how short it is. People, people are choosing films and TV shows based on them being short because yeah. they don't want to waste too, they don't want to have spend too much time for them. So in front of it, so Bob really addresses this. I love that. It's, and he goes, it's not just the songs, movies, television shows, even clothing and food. Everything is niche marketed and overly fussed with. There isn't an item on the menu that doesn't have a half dozen adjectives in front of it. All chosen to hit your socio-political, humanitarian, snobby, foodie consumer spot. <laughs> Enjoy your free-range, cumin-infused, cayenne-dusted heirloom reduction. Um, sometimes it's just better to have a BLT and be done with it. Now he's talking about <laughs> your cheating heart by Hank Williams. Yeah. And, and this is where he goes. That's that's what I mean about that stream of consciousness feel of it, that he just, he suddenly he's he's away into an, another into another place. Let's go to another one of the songs Um Maybe something a little bit closer to home. Elvis Costello and okay. Pump It Up. Did yeah. it surprise you to get to for, for that? I mean, I suppose there are as many surprises here as there are disappointments. It's just a snapshot. Well, it doesn't surprise me that Elvis is there only in so much as that, you know, the few times I've been around Bob, Elvis has actually been either there or close. Yeah. That he's a, he's a, he's a person. They obviously get on really well. Um, and it, But I was surprised that Pump It Up being the choice. But then again, he does... You know, Bob kind of throws a little kind of a you know you've you've obviously been listening to Homesick Subterranean Blues, you know, <laughs> so he's he's definitely having a little bit of a, a joy about him. But um, it's 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 a really it's a it's a fascinating. Uh, what does he say to us about the the Costello song and about now he makes it kind of he he lumps Britain and Ireland in together well, a little bit here. I like what he I like what I, I kind of like what he says. He sort of says you know in you know the Brits and he says you know the if you're Irish or you're Brit. 
um, people always dress, no matter what class you're from, people always dress up sharp. And he was talking about Elvis Costello yeah. looking a bit like Harold Lloyd or having like the Buddy Holly look. And he said, we in America, we wear jeans and hoodies. We, we you know, we, we, we dress to look working class. We kind of hide our class through our casualness. Whereas, you know, in, in, and I, you know, and he's obviously referring because nowadays they don't. But mm. well, actually, maybe they do again. But in the old days, people always dressed in suits, no matter what class they were but from. But he's, he's, he's kind of, I suppose it's it's America versus Europe is and what he's talking that's about. That's the there. thing with this book as well. I mean, it's it's very American, unapologetically coming from an American perspective all the time. And and I love that. It's like it it's almost like a Norman Rockwell type because the way he's describing old America and so like Steinbeck or Walt Whitman, that's kind of his oeuvre. That's like his his area of. Of knowledge, yeah, and he talks there about socio-political uh, uh, theories and the aspects around food. He, there's no political correctness in this. He did, he wasn't no. worried about gender quotas. Is no. it four women that we get across the sixty-six? There's, well, there's four women, but like I said, yeah, absolutely. But like I said, it's the songs he's picking. It's not the artist, yeah. which I think is really interesting. Now, the artist is important in the in the in which version he's talking about, but actually. He's. I think he's kind of transcending that, not transcending it, but he's kind of sidelining it by going, no, I'm talking about songs here. Yeah, before we listen to, to Elvis Costello, let's have, one of the things he says about Elvis in the, in the midst of all of that is, it's what a song makes you feel about your own life that's mm. important. It's not about the artist at all, in fact. It's exactly. about you, the listener. Exactly. So, and he also says this song has a lot of defects, but, he, but it knows how to conceal them. I mean, he's, you know... He's and he's and you know when he's you know he said some kind of harsh things about 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 Elvis in the in the song too. It's like you know it's it's you know he's kind of talking about Elvis sort of going there was too many words you know the songs were too sad. He gets too complicated. He's losing people. So in a way he is talking about the craft. Yeah. But in 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 a kind of an in an oblique and oblique, yeah. sort of so way. So he's using examples rather than he's showing you, rather than telling you. I suppose that's really what's in, involved here. And let's have a, a listen to a little bit of Elvis yeah. Costello and pump it up. So there, I, I think, Glenn, it's safe to say, you and I listening to Elvis Costello's Pump It Up would say, if I wrote that, I'd be pretty happy know, with myself. Right? I'd be pretty happy with myself. What does Bob Dylan, what little hints has he got for Elvis here? Well, it's funny because when he actually kind of addresses Elvis, like when he addresses the song directly, you know, he kind of, he, 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 one of the things he says, trouble, trouble is he's exhausting people. Too much in his songs for anyone to actually land on. Too many thoughts, way too wordy. Too many ideas that just bang up against themselves. And that's and but he's complimenting him. He's like he's mm. saying like he was a, a great writer and he was and he, and he and he went on to write songs with Backrack and you know and and he's like he's, he's what he says here. If you're writing songs with with Burt Backrack, you obviously don't care what people think. Yeah, and he says you know? it, he says it a little bit more colourful yeah, exactly, than that. Yeah, Thank yeah. you for adjusting yeah. <laughs> adjusting the volume on that one because he he's pretty straightforward. If you're doing things with Backrack, well then who you, nobody cares. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. As as you say, I, I mentioned as we were talking there about on the road again and Willie Nelson. He has a small little jibe. Let's go to let's talk about what he says about Willie Nelson first of all. Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, you know, it's it. 
you know, he really has a lot of time for Willie. And, yeah, and, and, you can and, hear that. And he, he, he brings Willie up a couple of times when he's talking about other singers as yeah, well. Yeah, and it's, you know, he talk, and I love what he says about, you know, this is the, the, on the road again, it's the song mm. about the, of the travelling bandit, you know, the plunder, the pirate's life. You know, you, you can really go anywhere. You just stay, you stay in your bus, you go out and you perform for a few hours and you get back in your bus. It's a bit like, and, and I know that from touring, you know, you are tra- you are on this ship mm. and you're moving from town to town and you wake up and you're in a new town, you go find a coffee shop, you play a few songs, you know, you kind of, it's the, you know, kind of, it's the sort of arrive into a new place, rape and pillage, jump back. And of course, that's not it, but metaphorically, you know, metaphorically jump saying, back on yep. your, on your ship and with, with the, with the, with the money and, and take <laughs> off to the next town. But, you know, you're making music with your friends, you're earning a living. There's an honesty to being on the road. And, and then he goes on about like, and the truth is you don't have to take out the garbage, you know, you're not getting the stink eye off your neighbours. You're making people feel good and you're moving on. Yeah, and, you know? and, and, and suddenly On the Road Again becomes a happy song. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah, I love, yeah, I love that. He says, not a, not a duff line in it. Yeah. It's all like, not a, not a miserable line in it. Yeah. It's all positivity. Yeah, well, let's, let's have a listen to Willie Nelson in, in happy mode. On the road again I just can't wait to get on the road again The life I love is making music with my friends Does that make you? Does that put the, the the skids underneath you, Glenn Hanser, to try to get out on the road again and to want to get out on the oh road God, again? Well, I haven't toured since 2019, and, I, and I'm just I am gunning to go. But like, you know, I am so happy to be at home because I have the greatest. Uh, we just have we have an we have a two month actually tomorrow he's two months old, Christy, and I am so happy to be home. I was home for the whole pregnancy, um, and I really was really delighted to be, and I wanted to be. And had some touring, um, actually, mm. at, you know, in, in in October of this year and just said, no, I can't go because there was just no, once I met this lad and, you know, and once we went, brought the baby home, like the, the house was different, the feel, everything, the house felt like a different house. There was no way I could leave. There was no way I wanted to leave and there was nowhere else I wanted to be. So... So I'm going to get back on the road, but at the right time. Is it too soon for any of that to be feeding into the songwriting? Or are you? Up? Do you know what? It's absolutely already there. It's 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 changed every aspect of my of my outlook, of my life, of my thinking. So, you know, and already I'm writing. I'm like I'm just sort of changing his nappy and just coming. You know, making up little songs to sing to him. Um, he's happiest when the nappy's off and he's <laughs> his arse is in the air and you know. So he's uh, it's it's. It's a lovely, it it's really has changed yeah, everything. Yeah, definitely. You know, you think, and it makes me think about the, when you came in my life, you changed my world, my Sarah. And I keep thinking about that song because that is the greatest song yeah. to, your, to your kid. Yeah, you know? you'll be singing My Christy before, yeah, <laughs> before exactly. too long. Exactly. Or too, just go, go back to the On the Road again, which yeah. you will have to do at some point, Glenn. Uh-huh. I hate to tell you, there'll be tears oh, obviously yeah. from you that particular day. Uh, he does have, it's a kind of a half sideways dig at Van Morrison, but he also praises Van Morrison at the same time as giving him a little dig. Yeah, he kind of talks about, you know, you know, Van Van does tour, but he talks about Van only always taking a plane. And, you know, Bob is famously, you know, because he's been on the road for so long, uh, famously always has a, a tour bus that always is like, or a Winnebago mm, outside. Mm. And just, he stays outside the venue, he stays in his bus. So Bob has probably spent, if you think about it, over half of his life in a vehicle because yeah. because that's where he spends most of his time you know, he's not usually in the build. You know, it's it's and it, you know he he spends a lot of time in the tours. Yeah, comes out to play, goes back in. Yeah, and and he he gives us that idea of you know you're not really going anywhere. 
it's the bus you're you're going on the bus and the bus is wherever it happens to be that's fine but you you may be only half aware of what city it, it even is but to, when he, to finish off what he says about van van travels are playing so maybe he wouldn't know <laughs> but then he says but he's surely been told so he's he's actually kind of praising yeah, slagging yeah, and yeah. praising the song hard knows uh, the highway, highway, the highway at, at, at at the same at the same time yes, there yes um, j- just want to mention just a couple of things about the, o- the other aspects of the book. I was saying uh, right beside that on the road again, chapter 20 about, Will- uh, about Willie Nelson. There's a picture of Willie Nelson on the opposite page, but there's nothing to tell us that. And yeah. when you turn over the page, there's another picture of what I'm guessing and you're, you're saying you think so it too. It looks like it's a young Willie yeah, Nelson. It's the same Black nose. and white picture. But there are lots of other pictures where we're given no hint as to who they are or what they are or are they related to the song or not. Exactly. And part of the joy of the book is that you look at the picture, you think about the song title, you think about what he's saying and then it, it illuminates one aspect of mm. what he was talking about. Yeah. But you have to sort of find the connection yourself. Uh, you enjoyed this book eventually. Do you know, it's when funny you because I, I was, I, I kind of got it and I was like, it's a, you know, it basically if someone had said to me, this is Bob's introductions to songs during his theme time hour. So he writes a little introduction to yeah. each song. These, and someone picked up a pile of them that were, you know, maybe lying at home and said, do you know, I think we could make a book out of this. Yeah. And Bob goes, yeah, why not? Work away. And it goes out. If someone told me that that's how this book was put together and released, I would absolutely believe them. I find it hard to believe that this is his passion of the moment. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a, it's an easy, re, it's lovely, it's fun. I, I don't get the feeling that he, it would, he'd be devastated if it doesn't do well. It's almost a bit like his Christmas album. You know, he every so often he puts out these things, and I'm not saying I'm not comparing yeah, this yeah. to his Christmas album, but it's like a, it's almost like a piece of merch. Yeah, it's almost like it's promoting I, I, rough and rowdy ways. Yeah, and, and there's no doubt that more philosophy of modern song by Bob Dylan can <laughs> it happen. Could very easily easy. come out now. Yeah. Now I don't want to be making it having a, yeah. a, 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 a joy about it because it's brilliant. I'm actually loving it, but it really is just something you could pick up and start anywhere, yeah. and I like that about yeah. it. Before we finish up, um, you've recorded and released a, a song in recognition of the trauma being suffered by Ukrainian refugees fleeing their homeland. Tell us a bit about, about what's involved there. The song is called Take Heart. Where did the idea come from? Well, I was on tour in Los Angeles, um, Sean, and I, I was last, last February. And the news, of course, um, hit the world um, about, about Russia invading Ukraine. And I, I do what I always do when, when, when I'm you know, plundered into chaos and I just pick up my guitar and try to make sense of it. And so I was just playing in my room and uh, I was on tour with Eddie Vedder and at the time, and we were po- talking about it and there was, there was something Paddy Smith had posted. She had posted something from two nights before and it was just her in this amazing, fiery, kind of manic, shamanic moment where she just said, people, take heart, it will get better. And if it doesn't get better, we'll find then she, you know, she just goes for it. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, that's an amazing line for a song. People take heart. That's, you know, courage, you know, courage, core, a heart. You know, I kept thinking like, what's the, how can you say something of comfort at a time like this? How can you say something that has any just ease in it? Yeah. You know, without wanting to get on high moral ground or anything. But so, so I took Paddy's line and I put it as the first line of my And song. how quickly did Marquetta, Marquetta Glover, who has teamed up with you again yeah. for this, um, obviously from Falling, uh, the Oscar winning yeah. song, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. How quickly did she come on board or how quickly did you think about getting her involved? Well, I contacted Mar when I got back home and I just asked her, you know, because Czech 
and Ukrainian and Polish, like the Slavic languages have a lot in common. And I knew that she would have no problem. I, I wanted to to, to, mm. to say, return to me, return to me, return to me unharmed as the kind of closing right. salvo. But I wanted it to be in Ukrainian. And I'd figured out how to say it in Ukrainian, but I wanted Marketa to, to sing it because she'd pronounce it perfectly. And then, of course, I got um, these wonderful Ukrainian singers, Alex and uh, Anna from Ireland to come in from, from Ukraine. Who are st- who are staying here in Ireland at the moment to come in and sing it, and uh, so they all sang it together, and it was incredible. All right, we'll finish up with Take Heart, and I know that um, Ukrainian Action is the is the charity that you want the the proceeds to go to here. Thanks a million for coming. In. Thanks for all the chat about Bob Dylan. Enjoy Monday. I presume you're going to the event. I will. Yeah, yeah. Um, babysitter needed. Yes, <laughs> babysitter yes. needed. Okay, thank you. Uh, and let's listen to Take Heart. Thanks for coming in, Glenn. Take Heart. It will. People take part We'll do it together Though we knew from the start Beautiful feeling to that song for sure. Uh, Take Heart from Glenn Hansard and uh, further into the track of course we do hear Marketa Erglova and Ukrainian refugees as part of the song. Wonderful piece indeed. And before that he was speaking to us about The Philosophy of Modern Song by Bob Dylan which is published by Simon & Schuster. One of Dublin's literary highlights is undoubtedly the annual Book Festival. This year's Dublin Book Festival begins next Tuesday, November the 8th, runs through until Sunday, November the 13th. And on Thursday night, that's the 10th of November, we on Arena will be hosting a special event in the beautiful surrounds of the Hugh Lane Gallery. We have a wonderful lineup. Love you to be there with us. Joining us on the evening will be Louise Kennedy, author of The Gripping Romantic Tragedy Set During the Troubles, that's Trespasses, and also the author of the acclaimed short story collection The End of the World is a Cul-de-Sac. We'll also be joined by author of short story collections Sweet Home and Dance Move, Wendy Erskine, and the show will have an international component as one of our guests is the writer and showrunner of Netflix's Who Killed Sarah? That's Jose Ignacio Valenzuela. On top of all of that, we have music from John Francis Flynn, winner of the RTE Folk Awards Best Folk Singer. Let's whet her appetites now uh, with Wendy Erskine reading from her short story, Anti-Treaty. This is about a cutthroat TV talent show called UK OK. Now, the show gets a little bit more than it bargained for in two contestants. Easy uh, and Easy are two Ballyshannon girls called Emer and Sophia. This is Wendy Erskine reading from the story. Talent shows have had their controversies over the years. Feuds and fights, accusations of racism, contestants revealed as sex offenders. The show UK OK ran for only one series. It billed itself as harder, better, cooler. No syrupy ballads or songs from the shows and everybody aged 17 to 25. The winners were a group from Peckham called Bliss 20. They released one single and then split up. Kane from the band went on to work with a US Southern rap artist while another, Driss, decided to train as a secondary school teacher. Other participants were Emer and Sophia, known as Easy. On the bus from Ballyshannon to Enniskillen, 
They did each other's hair into side ponytails, Emer's blonde and Zof's black. And from Enniskillen to Belfast, they did their makeup. If they ask me, I'm not going to say that this is the only thing that matters in my life, said Zof, because it's so insincere. If that was the case, why would I also be at school? I'd spent my whole day doing vocal exercises. Yeah, said Emer. But what if they want a sob story? Have you got a sob story? Zof thought, Well, my dad, he was in an accident at work and ended up injuring his arm and leg quite badly. He was in hospital for ages. Can't use his right arm at all, but he's in Gdansk, so maybe not a lot of point mentioning it. Yeah, it's not like it's you who can't use your right arm, Emer said. But I didn't know that about your dad. That's awful. Poor soul. In Belfast, it was only a short walk round to the audition venue. They changed into their outfits in the toilets at the bus station. Emer said that her top flattened her tits too much. Zoe said that was actually all right. They were 17. The show might not want sexy schoolgirls and all that. A flattened top was fine. The hall, when they entered, smelt tropical because people were sipping the pink sugar-free drink that was sponsoring the programme. Everyone spoke loudly and overreacted. Four girls from Dungiven, in matching dresses, watched a video of themselves on a phone. On the buses back again, Emer and Zof analysed their performance of Baby by Rachel Sweet. Too loud, too pitchy, too slow, too... Actually, we were quite good. Emer said, if I'm being honest. My hands were shaking when I was filling in the forms, though. I could hardly remember my own address. When she got home, Zof copied up all the schoolwork she'd missed. Emer's mum asked questions. Did she see Frank DiMucci? Only the top of his head and then he was gone. The judges don't really attend those auditions. Was there not anyone famous there? No. What's the programme called? asked Granny Mags, her dad's mum. UK, OK. Granny Mags took a sip of her tea. That actually spells you cock, her brother said. You get it? U K O K U cock. Shut up, Emer said. You're just jealous. The wonderfully wry wit there of Wendy Erskine reading from Anti-Treaty, which is part of RTE's Spoken Story series. And to join Wendy Erskine, Louise Kennedy, John Francis Finn and Jose Ignacio Valenzuela at the Hugh Lane Gallery as part of the Dublin Book Festival with Arena on Thursday, November the 10th, please go to dublinbookfestival.com to book your seat. And so to our album reviews on Friday evening. First up, we'll have Phoenix. 22 years since their debut uh, from this French quartet, still going strong, have released their seventh album, which is called Alpha Zulu. First aid kit, Swedish sisters, Clara and Joanna Soderberg, garnered the attention of fans and critics with their second LP, 
the lion's roar since then the duo have become a massive country pop act around the world and are now back with their fifth album Palomino and finally formed in 2013 London trio Big Joni have been steadily building a solid following since the release of their, release of their critically acclaimed debut LP Sistas in 2018 they've just announced their first ever New York gig alongside their new album which is called Back Home Zara Hedeman Dave Hanratty have been listening let's start with Phoenix new album is called Alpha Zulu and here is the title track. Take a moment to decide to compromise you let me know some other time, some other day. You're not closer to the start than to the limit. Take a bow, bow to the sky if you wanna wait. Great. Ha! Singing hallelujah. Pray to God, cover your lives, go to Alpha Zulu title track and is it the opening track title track at any rate from uh, the new Phoenix album and as I said Dave Hanratty and Zara Hederman are our reviewers on this Friday evening been around for 22 years have uh, Phoenix what have they achieved in that 22 years quite a bit it has to be said yeah, they kind, of, I suppose. they kind of broke into the mainstream around 2009 with Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, which was their calling card for a lot of people, myself included. It was kind mm. of a mainstream breakthrough. Um, they're extremely, like, well, what have they achieved? I mean, musically, they're extremely good at being Phoenix, if that's fair to say. They're amazing at catchy melodies. They're incredibly French, as you heard there, of course, mm. in that clip. And uh, really, really good at earworms as well. I mean, songs like 1901, Te Amo, Long Distance Call, Entertainment. These are earworms that get into your head, don't leave them for a long time. Uh, I think they kind of hit a bit of a slightly mediocre kind of sameness around the time of their fourth or fifth record. But Te Amo um, I, I kind of won me back over. This one uh, is coming out at an interesting time for them because they're traditionally associated with summer months. They've never released an album in the winter. This is the first one right. that they've ever done it. There's even a track called Winter Solstice. So you're wondering... Are they going to really mix it up or are they going to just kind of do more of the same? Let us find out. Because you were coming to this album, Zara, I think it's safe to say, with a large amount of excitement in your back and front pockets. Exactly, yeah. I always find Phoenix, um, again, like Dave, Wolfgang, Amadeus Phoenix, was my kind of entry card to them and I loved them. And what I love about them is just the escapism that they provide. Mm. They have that really sophisticated and suave kind of European sound. And with this then, I was really excited to listen to it and the prospect of critically analysing it. And I was left extremely cold, um, not just because it's a, a winter release, but I just felt that this was very artistically fatigued almost. And what's interesting as well is that this album was um, recorded actually in a makeshift studio that they had in the Louvre. And one of the members said that they were slightly um, apprehensive about recording an album in an art gallery where there's so much art, would they be intimidated by that? And I do feel that maybe it wasn't the art, but I do feel that there was just a very mm. lacklustre feel, which is something I never, ever expected to say about a Phoenix album. Yeah, I found myself writing uh, beside several of the songs as I went down through this, all perfectly serviceable. But I, I very seldom had much more to say about, about them than that. Had you, Dave? Uh, not a lot in the way of substance, no. But I do think that as pop hooks they're still razor sharp mm. I went in with quite low expectations despite really enjoying the last album Te Amo, which is like this kind of you know going on an incredible Italian holiday thing this is a lot different as Zara says was recorded in the Louvre which is an audacious thing to do I mean the whole point of it was they went in there during the pandemic it was disused it was abandoned they wanted to connect with culture and maybe kind of look forward to a future in which they could once again invite people into their world 
I do think as the years have gone on, Thomas Myers gets away with just his vocal style, which obviously is very heavily produced as you hear yeah. there. There are tracks on here that reminded me of like the Julian Casablanca's feature on the Daft Punk Random Access Memories record. Um, I, I wouldn't disagree with you. I think this definitely does do sameness, but at 10 tracks in 35 minutes, it's a breeze and it caught me up yeah. in it. All right. Stars from you, Dave. Three and a half. I really liked it. Three and a half. You really liked it. Zara. I had a lot of issues with this and I found it quite forgettable and I found myself humming along actually to some of their older songs uh, <laughs> during listening the listening to their yeah. current album, um, that's a problem. So for me it was two and a half. Two and a half from you. Okay, that's Phoenix and Alpha Zulu. Let's move on to First Aid Kit. Swedish sisters Clara and Johanna Soderberg garnered the attention of fans and critics alike with that second LP, The Lion's Roar. Uh, they really have become a big country pop kind of duo since that. Um, did you, did you, were you coming to this with expectations uh, and what kind Zara? Well I had been a huge fan of First Aid Kit um, probably like a lot of people with the release their second album The Lions Roar in 2012 which was a lot more of a folk mm. kind of classics um, minimal proposition and I fell out of my fondness for them around the time of Ruins which is this predecessor that was their kind of breakup album so I came to this obviously they're a huge country band and I was very reluctant maybe because I guess because of their bigness now they're crafting songs that are trying to fill bigger stadiums as well, which is where the issues lay for me. All right, let's listen to the opening track on the album. This is called Out of My Head. Flavor there of Out of My Head opening track on the new First Aid Kit album, which is called Palomino Palomino. I'm not sure which. Um, Dave, and uh, uh, we, I was saying as you were listening to that, I, <laughs> I really thought, is Lisa O'Neill part of suddenly now part of First Aid Kit? She does sound one of the sisters, sounds very like Lisa O'Neill at the beginning of that second mention for Lisa O'Neill in the program tonight. Yeah, you got us in the studio, Sean, because I was like frantically looking through my notes to be like, is Lisa O'Neill on this record? It's a pertinent point. And I think we, we kind of also said, like, and then it becomes Stevie Nicks at a certain point because they're very much in their Fleetwood Mac bag on this one and on kind of Tom mm. Petty and Kate Bush elsewhere, all of whom are distinct influences that they have cited in the run up to this. Zara kind of mentioned to me, like, like when we were talking there, that the killers, like, you can hear that sound as well, but the killers have been cribbing from Fleetwood Mac as well. There is this kind of, Eight, like 80s-ified pop sheen to this. And I think they're in a tough position, First Aid Kit, because I first saw them on a Glastonbury performance, like the backstage thing, where it's just the two of them. And they're incredible. I think I saw them in, like, in Dublin at a very intimate gig once as well. And they've amazing voices in that regard, those kind of small cavernous settings. But now it seems that they want to kind of branch out a bit more, make it a bit bigger. And as a result, what can you do? All you can kind of do is the driving pop song, bring in a bit of synth, galloping drums. It all works, but at the same time, is it really doing anything new beyond this? Like, like it's it's for, for what they are, for a traditionally kind of acoustic folk act, this is huge for them, but not necessarily for the listener. Yeah, because yes, we did get this. I mean, our, the both vocals are extraordinary in different tracks and the mix of the two voices mm. is always what, what got me in terms of first aid kit. I always wanted to hear them. Yeah, you get a bit of it on this, but you were saying that going for the bigger sound maybe is 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 kind of harming that, Zara. Exactly. And those moments on the album where they do go a bit bigger, they it kind of um, compromised the, uh, their artistic integrity. Whereas um, there is in the latter half of the album where I did yeah. become a little bit more kind of back on track with them, say with Wild Horses 2 and the last one and Nobody Knows. Yeah. Those moments to me, as someone who was a big fan 10 years ago, 
that was something that was quite rewarding because they did bring me back to their origins and their roots. Like they would have cited quite a lot, like people like Amy Lou Harris as like influences in one of the songs. I think it's Wild Horses. They mention Graham Parsons. Yeah, and you, those, you like you prefer the Rolling you prefer the Rolling Stones. I like Graham exactly. And that kind of lyrical style is very um, reflective of their roots and their origins. They used to do that a lot with the previous stuff and with the kind of as Dave was saying, like the Tom Petty influence. There's also like T Rex as well. So I did think what they did with the lush orchestration of more strings and horns I liked that development of their sound that felt a bit more natural to where we've yeah. come from Stars from you then Zara uh, I couldn't stop humming this uh, throughout the day a lot of the hooks got stuck so three and a half for me Alright so, and you weren't humming earlier songs as you no, were with the previous no. album So three and a half from Zara what are you saying overall Dave? Uh, three and a half as well I mean they're at a place of contentment now which I think kind of doesn't bring them into the widescreen arena but for them coming off like Zara mentioned the album Runes that was a bit of breakup I think that wasn't their best work they came back with a very interesting Leonard Cohen live tribute album that was very well received and people should check out this feels like a return to form and I think it's good enough all right, good enough. Good enough. Trap. <laughs> that was how did that translate into stars? Three and a half. Three and a half. Yeah. Three and a half. Good, good enough. enough. Good enough. Three and a half. <laughs> right. That's uh, first aid kit in Palomino. Let's move on to our final album formed in 2013. London trio Big Joni described themselves as a black feminist punk band, steadily building a solid following since the release of their critically acclaimed debut LP, Sisters, 2018. That came out. Uh, just about to head off for their first New York gig and this coincides with this new album Back Home this is a track called Your Words clip there or a little section of your words from Big Big Joni and the new album Back Home. Um, the vocal again, very different from First Aid Kit, but the mm-hmm. vocal is vital to this album, Zara. Absolutely, yeah. And um, as we were saying just in the studio there, there is a lot of different sounds and styles in this that obviously has quite a strong Joy Division influence mm. to it. Elsewhere, you know, Nirvana are cited. The Breeders were a big one for me. There's Surf Rock. There's a lovely Omnichord song. But I really found Stephanie Phillips, who's the vocalist to this band, just a very powerful and strong presence and within all of that diversity and sound I felt that her very steady and very I mean some people might kind of consider it one note I found that actually as a really nice guiding force with it as that something that ties yeah. everything together yeah, yeah. Um, I too polite, I think, was one of the um, things you were saying about this uh, album. Yeah, to like us, I mean, Dave, you're a punk band. Where's the punk? I mean, I, I found it to be way too polished. Yeah, I mean, I, and it is kind of meandering at times. It doesn't seem to settle on a distinctive identity, uh, but the band has a very distinctive identity, which I found kind of in, like th- there was a bit of a contradiction here. And I, I throw in some other names like Jesus and Mary Chain, Pixie, Smashing Pumpkins, mm-hmm. all great names, all acts that we presumably love. 
But I, like Big Joni, I I didn't quite get the coherence going through it. I mean, like, the track that you played is is my favorite song on the album. But it starts off in this very kind of gothic kind of intro, which which I really respected. It ends with a very synth heavy. It sounds like an eighties kind of crime film or something. So like it never kind of picked a point and stuck with it, which can be good. But I did find myself getting kind of bored and kind of a bit lost with it. And yeah, like I say, it's very polished. It's very produced. And I was expecting it to be a lot more kind of alive and sharp and kind of you know flawed and frayed edges. Yeah, yeah. I think you are happier with this album than Dave for sure mm. Zara. And it is an interesting uh, point that Dave raises about the punk sensibility and kind of being a bit more bravado especially in the lyricism but I, what I actually found quite interesting was with this was the how it flips that kind of um, structure by oh. being a bit more vulnerable. Alright stars Zara. Um, I really enjoyed this so it's three and a half for me. Really enjoyed three and a half? Two and a half. It just didn't make an impression. It didn't make an impression. Two and a half. Difference of opinion for sure on Back Home and Big Joni. We were also speaking tonight about First Aid Kit, Palomino and Phoenix and Alpha Zua. Alpha Zulu, rather. Uh, Dave Hanratty and Zara Hederman are two reviewers on this Friday.